this moment, the gears had been engaged. The end was imminent. Everything that happened from here on out will be leading to one place, the cross. And it seems that the one who has set off the sequence of events leading to the terror of Holy Friday is Judas. In the Gospel reading today, we see Judas, infamous Judas, at a crucial turning point in his life, it seems. He's just made the decision to leave Jesus as a tight group of disciples in order to betray them, to trade Jesus' life for a bag of coins. Well, just before this story, this turning point, Jesus had knelt down low to wash the tired feet of his disciples, his closest friends. They had gathered at the table to share a meal, as they often had. But this time, Jesus must have seemed preoccupied. This time, at the table, Jesus had shared the terrible truth that one of their own would betray them. He had predicted his death then dipped his bread in the oil and handed it to Judas, the one he knew would betray him. Poor Judas. I wonder so often about him. Do you ever wonder about Judas? I wonder what his life was like before he met Jesus. I wonder what he was like as a child. Was he always evil? You know, always betraying people left and right? Was he a snitch? Had he been loved? Who had he loved? What were the things that had broken his heart? Judas, for all the negative press that he gets, was clearly a person heartbroken at the state of the world. He was clearly passionate about redistributing wealth for the sake of the poor, passionate about justice and mercy and freedom. Think back to the moment when a woman had emptied an entire jar of expensive perfume on Jesus' feet. Do you remember that story? Do you remember Judas' Judas's reaction? He had been indignant and said, How could you let her do this, Jesus? How could you? How could you let someone pour this year's salary worth of perfume into the dirt when it could have been sold? And the money given to so many who are going to go to bed hungry tonight. And was he wrong? I wonder if that moment, that encounter with the woman who anointed Jesus' feet, was a turning point in Judas' own life. Was that the straw that broke the camel's back, as they say? In that moment, it seems like he was clearly disappointed with Jesus appalled that he was allowing this wasteful extravagance to happen. Had that been his last straw? I wonder about Judas's emotions and his thought process. I wonder about the discernment that led him to decide to go to the chief priests, to lead them to Jesus, and to play this crucial part in the end of Jesus's life. Because it seems clear to me that Judas did not reach such a big decision in a split second. I wonder what that process was like for him. The process of 
hearing about Jesus and then giving up his life to follow this rabbi, of seeing salvation in what Jesus taught, of believing in the kingdom of God that Jesus preached. What had it felt like for Judas to first believe and then doubt in Jesus' leadership? And I wonder if you've ever had that experience. First, you believe, you put your whole heart into something, and later question whether it's right. I wonder what it was like for Judas to be so convinced that Jesus was the Messiah, and then wonder why he wasn't doing more. That battle between trust and disappointment must have been a daily challenge for Judas. Well, just like each of us, Judas was a flawed but hopeful person whose life was treasured by God. And, just like each of us, Judas was, I think, doing the best he could with what he had. Just like each of us, he lived his life in response to what he experienced, discerning what was right and what was wrong. We can stand here now and say, well, obviously Judas did the wrong thing in betraying Jesus, right? Easy to say. He's an easy scapegoat. It's easy for us to stand here and make that judgment. And it's easy for the author of the Gospel of John to stand at least 90 years after the fact and look back on that moment and also label Judas as the evil one who betrayed Jesus. So we have these perspectives that let it be easy for us to call, cast judgment on Judas. But in the moment, do you think G Judas thought he was doing the right thing? Wasn't he following a voice that he heard saying, this is not enough. Jesus isn't the Messiah who will free our people from oppression. He isn't the one we've been waiting for. The question posed, I think, in both of the readings today is this, this question that Judas was asking. How do we discern what is right from what is wrong? And more specifically, how do we know that the voice we hear is the voice of God? In pop Christianity, <clears throat> This idea of the voice of God is thrown around with little consideration. It's common to hear someone say, God told me I ought to do this, right? I prayed, and God told me to decide this. It's even, you know, I've heard someone say, someone said to me, God told me that what you're doing is wrong, right? Claiming that we know what God says. Well, I, for one, feel very nervous as soon as someone says, God told me this. I want to ask, how do you know? Right? How do you know? Because it's, isn't it clear that two people can read the same Bible, pray to the same God, and hear very different answers to the same question? Does God just tell each of us what we want to hear? Does God speak so often in my life that God directed me to turn down this row of the parking lot so that I could get this free parking spot? You know? 
is that the amount, the, the level to which God is speaking to us? And really, it's dangerous to claim that we know what God says because it's the ultimate power move. It's the ultimate shutdown to any conversation to claim that I know what God wants. Think about this first story we heard today, which Johnny beautifully read and pointed out beforehand. Is there weird? Anyone else think it was weird? This is a story from the early church, as recounted in the book of Acts. And we have this story about Jesus' Jewish followers and how shocked they were to realize that God wanted even non-Jews to be part of the beloved community. So in this story, in this instance, how did God speak to Peter? Not a rhetorical question. A sign. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts about it? It was a dream, a vision, you know, of this big sheet being lifted, being lowered down from the heavens with every creature, and God saying, eat all of any of these creatures at one. And Peter says, no, some of those are unclean. <coughs> in, in, in reality, saying, no, God told me not to eat unclean foods, and this is, these are the unclean foods. But then it seems like God's own voice is telling him something else. Is that interesting? And then Peter brings this vision to the community, who is also, who, like, which is also appalled that, of what Peter is saying, that he's heard God say. It's this big mystical vision. Um, and also, in this instance, God speaks to Peter in the people who come to his house, the couriers, it says, who come and say, the Spirit, we were sent here to come bring you a message. And then, another dream. They go and meet at Cornelius' house, and he's had a dream too. So there's all these dreams of how God is speaking to the people. This story from Acts, with this weird story, is a key moment in the early life of the church. If there had been debate before about whether non-Jews were to be baptized and included in the covenant of Jesus, now there was no question, right? God's voice had spoken, and the Gentiles were to be embraced. This was a moment of discernment for the early church, right? It was a moment of asking this question, what's right and what's wrong? Who's in and who's out? And the church as a community made a decision about what God was telling them to do. This moment from the gospel is also a moment of discernment for Judas, who, when he turns away from his family in order to betray them, has made a choice, has, has discerned what he thinks is right. So how do we know what is right? How do we know what God is calling us to do? How do we know what is of God and what is not? Asking these questions is a spiritual practice 
So this is an idea of spiritual practice of discernment, that God is moving in our lives all the time. And our posture, our lens, what we might take on as a pair of glasses maybe, is discernment, that we might be able to discern where is God calling us to go in any moment? What is right, what is wrong? Who's in and who's out? It's a way of pulling back maybe from powerful claims like God said this and more to a place of wondering about where God might be present and moving in our lives. And I think these two stories give us a checklist of things that if we're going to do the discernment about what is of God, what is right, I think they ought to fit certain criteria like in the stories today. The first is, it seems like a voice from God is about including more people. This vision of the sheep being, being lowered down. It seems to me that something that is of God is anytime there's embrace of, of what is other, embrace of difference, embrace of people who are unlike us. Seems like that ought to be one of the checklist things is this voice I'm hearing really the voice of God? And the next thing I think we ought to use in our discernment checklist is the last line of this gospel story when Jesus says, how will the people know that you're Christians? They'll know it by your love. They'll know it by your love. So that makes me think, if anything is not of love, it's not of God. It's not the voice of God. If anything is of love, it is of God. The voice of shame and blame and othering, not of God, I would say. And I'm nervous even to say that because to say what is of God is this big thing. But this is our call today in these readings is to see ourselves just like Judas. Poor Judas. I love Judas. And like the early church, this community discerning together, what is right? Where are, where are we meant to go next? It's not so much about making these huge claims about God spoke this to me. But where is God moving in my life? And I think the answer is God is moving in the places of love, the places of the places of making the circle ever wider. Henry Nowen says this also about discernment. He says, Discernment allows us to see through the appearance of things to their deeper meaning. And also, that the great movement of the spiritual life is from a deaf, non-hearing life to a life of listening. So I wonder if Judas's mistake in that moment was that he wasn't listening. He wasn't listening to what was deeply, deep, deeply true about Jesus. And when are the times when we are called to be listening deeper to the voice of love? I think those are the moments of discernment in our lives.